Chapter Five of Ride Proud Rebel by Andre Norton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bardstown surrenders. Now that's what I call true hospitality, gentlemen. True hospitality. Kirby caressed his middle section gently with both hands, smiling dreamily into the lacing of apple boughs over his head. Ain't had me a feed like that since we took that sutler's wagon back outside Mount Sterling. Most forgot there was such vittles lying about to be sampled. And you got us most of the cream, too. Cause your poor little misguided boys are running away to be with us desperate characters. Get me a bowie knife, and I'll show you how to cut throats. All free, too. Drew laughed, but Boyd did not appear amused. They had been favored with a short but pungent lecture from Mr. McKeever, served along with food, which Drew made it worth the return of listening decorously to a listing of their sins. "'Ain't going home,' Boyd repeated stubbornly. "'Well,' Kirby pointed out, "'if he rides up to the Yankee prison camp, he ain't going to find you, neither. So what's the difference? I think we ought to be moving on, seeing how we ain't really on speaking terms with the law hereabouts.' It would appear that Captain Campbell agreed with that. The order came to saddle up and move out, but they went with provision sacks slung from their saddles, a portion of McKeever's bounty stowed away against tomorrow. And once they were past the house, the word came down the line for Drew to quit his prisoner's role and join their commander. Campbell held a fragment of a map as he let his mount's pace fall to a slow walk. There are about a hundred Union infantry stationed at Bardstown, according to Mr. McKeever. Know anything about the town? I was there once. My cousin went to St. Joseph's for a term. Remember enough to find your way around? I don't know, sir. But if there's a Union garrison... He ended the sentence with an implied question. What are we going to do there? The captain grinned. We're going to collect some arms, I hope. Supposing you were a Yankee commander, Rennie, and a bold bad raider like General Morgan was to ride clean up to your door with a regiment or two, tailing him and saying, Your guns, sir, or your life. What would you do, especially if your troops were mostly militia and green men who hadn't ever been in a real fight? Drew understood. Probably, sir, I'd tell General Morgan that he could have his guns, providing he kept this side of the bargain. As far as the Yankees in Bardstown may know, General Morgan could be headed their way right now with a regiment. I don't think they've had time yet to learn just how badly we were scattered back there by the Licking River. You willing to take the flag in when we get there, Rennie? Pick a couple of outriders to go with you. It was risky, but no more risky than bluffs he had seen work before and they did need the weapons. Cutting westward now only kept them well inside Union territory. Somehow they would have to skulk or fight their way down through the southern part of Kentucky, and then probably all the way across Tennessee, a tall order, but one which was just possible of accomplishment. I'll do it, sir. Riding into Bardstown was no worse than riding over the rest of this countryside, where any moment they might be swept up by the enemy. 
It was lucky they had brought rations with them from McKeever's, for they took no more chances of trying for such supplies again. Once more they altered their advance, riding the pikes at night, hiding out by day. Hills, then, and among them Bardstown. Drew borrowed a carbine, stringing a dubious white strip of shirt-tail from its barrel, and flanked by Kirby and Driscoll, a trooper Campbell had appointed, rode slowly up the broad street opening from the pike. Great trees arched overhead, almost as they had across the drive of the McKeever place, and the houses were fine, equal to the best about Lexington. A carriage pulled to the side, its two feminine occupants leaning forward a little under the tilt of dainty parasols, eyes wide, while their coachman stared open-mouthed at the three dirty, tattered cavalrymen riding with an assumption of ease, though armed, down the middle of the avenue. You, sir, it was the coachman who hailed Drew. You soldier men? Drew reined in the black, who this time obeyed without protest. The weary miles had taught the gelding submission, if not perfect manners. Transferring his reins to the hand, which also steadied the butt of his carbine against his sigh, so that his flag was well in evidence, Drew swept off his dust-grayed hat and bowed to the ladies in the carriage. "'General Morgan's compliments, ladies,' he said, loud enough for his words to carry beyond the vehicle to the townspeople gathering on the walk. "'Flag of truce coming in, ma'am.' He spoke directly to the elder of the two in the carriage. "'Would you be so kind as to direct me to where I may find the Union commander?' "'You're from John Hunt Morgan, young man?' She shut her parasol with a snap, held it as if she were considering its use as a weapon. Yes, ma'am. General Morgan, Confederate Army. She sniffed. You'll find their captain at the inn, probably. Yankees and whiskey apparently have an affinity for one another. So, John Morgan's coming to pay us a visit? Maybe, ma'am. And where may I find the inn? Straight ahead, the girl answered. You really are Morgan's men? Kirby did not have a hat to doff, but his bow in the saddle was as graceful as Drew's. That's right, ma'am. My, did we know what we'd find in Bardstown now? We'd been riding in right sooner. Sa, Louisa. The elder lady's intimidating glare was divided, but Drew thought that Louisa got more than half a share of it. No offense meant, ma'am. It's just that riding about the way we do and all... We don't get us a chance to say howdy to ladies. The Texan's expression was properly contrite, his voice all diffidence. The inn young man is on down the street. Drive on, Horace, she ordered the coachman. But as the carriage started, she pointed her parasol at Drew, as a teacher might point an admonishing ruler at a pupil. I hope you'll find what you're looking for, young man, in the way of Yankees. We generally do, ma'am. Kirby commented. For us, Yankees just turn up bright and sassy all over the place. Drew laughed. Bright and sassy, then on the run. For the success of his present mission, and all those listening ears, he ended that boast in as fervent a tone as he could summon. See that you keep them that way. She enforced that order with a snap of a parasol, being reopened, as the carriage moved from the shade back into the patch of open sunlight. That sure was a pretty girl, observed Driscoll, 
as Drew and the Texan wheeled back into line with him. Wish we could settle down here for, say, two or three days, get some of the dust out of our throats, and have a chance to say howdy to some friendly folks. You'd be more likely saying howdy to a Yankee prison guard if you did that, Drew replied. Let's find this in and the garrison commander. That's the proper way of laying it out. The in and then business. Yankees and whiskey go together. That's what she said, ain't it? I maybe don't wear in a blue coat regular, but whiskey sounds sort of refreshing, don't it now? Just so you only think that, Anse, and don't try any tasting, Drew warned. We make our big talk to this captain, then we move out fast. You boys know the drill. Sure, Driscoll repeated. We're the big raiders come to gobble up all the bluebellies, lest they walk out all nice and peaceful, leaving their popguns behind em for better men to use. I'd say that there was the inn, Rennie. They saw their first Yankee, a blot of blue by the horse trough at the edge of the center square. And Drew, surveying the enemy with a critical and experienced eye, was sure that he was indeed meeting either green troops or militia. They were as wide-eyed in their return stare as the civilians on the streets around. Kirby chuckled. Strutted up, roosters, he urged from the corner of his mouth. Cutthroats, banditti, horse thieves. Just downright bad hombres, that's us. They expect us to be on the peck, all horns and rattles. Don't disappoint them none. Their tails is half curled up already, and they're ready to run if a horny toad yells boo. To the outward eye, the three riding leisurely down the middle of the Bardstown Street had no interest in the soldier by the trough. Drew in the middle, the white flag dropping from the barrel of his carbine, brought the black a step or two in advance. Just so as Castleman had ridden into Lexington earlier, and that had been at night with a far more wary and dangerous enemy to face. The scout's confidence rose as he watched without making any show of his surveillance the uneasy men ahead. One of them broke away from the group and ran into the inn. "'Wonder who's rodding this outfit,' Kirby remarked. "'That fella's gone to rout him out. Do your talking like a short-trigger man, Drew.' They pulled rein in front of the inn and sat their horses facing the door through which the soldier had disappeared. His fellows edged around the trough and stood in straggling line in front of the Confederates. You, Drew caught the eye of the nearest. Tell your commanding officer General Morgan's flag is here. The Yankee was young, almost as young as Boyd, but he had less assurance than Boyd. Now the boy stammered a little as he answered, Yes, yes, sir. Then he added in a rush, General who, sir? General John Hunt Morgan, Confederate Cavalry, Army of the Tennessee, detached duty. Drew made that as impressive as he could. Whether it was worded correctly according to military protocol or not, it was, he thought, with satisfaction, a nicely rounded, important-sounding speech, although a bit short. Yes, sir. The boy started for the door, but he was too late. The man who erupted from that portal was short and stout, his face a dramatic scarlet above the dark blue of his unbuttoned coat. He stopped short a step or two in the open and stood staring at the three on horseback. 
that scarlet growing more dusky by the second. "'Who are you?' His demand was expelled in heavy puffs of breath. "'Flag from General Morgan,' Drew repeated. Then, to make it quite plain, he added kindly, "'General John Hunt Morgan, Confederate Cavalry, Army of the Tennessee, detached duty.' "'But, but Morgan was defeated at Cynthiana. He was broken.' Slowly, Drew shook his head. The general has been reported defeated before, sir. No, he's right here outside Bardstown, and I wouldn't rightly say he was broken either, not with a couple of regiments behind him. A couple of regiments? The man was buttoning his coat, his red jowl sagging a little, almost as if Drew had used the carbine across his unprotected head. A couple of regiments? Morgan, he repeated dazedly. Well, Sullenly, he spoke to Drew. What does he want? You are a captain, Drew spoke crisply. You'll return with us to discuss surrender terms with an officer of equal rank. Surrender? For a moment, some of the sag went out of the other. Two regiments, and you have maybe eighty or ninety men. Kirby gazed with critical disparagement at such Union forces as were visible. One hundred and twenty-five, the officer repeated mechanically, and then glared at the Texan. One hundred and twenty-five, then. Kirby was willing to be generous. All ready to hold this here town. I don't see no artillery, neither. He rose in his stirrups to view the immediate scene. Going to fight from house to house, maybe? General Morgan, Drew remarked to the company at large, is not a patient man. But it's your decision, sir, if you want to make a fight of it. He shrugged. No, well, I'll talk. Listen to your terms, anyway. Get my horse, he roared at the nearest soldier. They escorted the captain, with due solemnity, out of Bardstown, to meet Campbell, a well-armed guard in evidence, strung out on the pike. The Union officer picked up enough assurance to demand to see the general himself. But Campbell's show of surprise halter at the request was an expert's weapon in rebuttal, and the other not only subsided, but agreed without undue protest to Campbell's statement of terms. The Union detachment in town were to stack their arms in the square, leaving in addition their rations. They were to withdraw, unarmed, to a field outside and there await the patrolling officer who would visit them in due course. Having agreed, the Union captain departed. Campbell was already signaling the rest of the company out of cover. This is where we move fast. You all know what to do. But much had been left to chance. Drew and Kirby surrendered their borrowed carbines to the rightful owners and prepared to join the first wave of that quick dash. Yawa! There were no words in that, just the war cry, which might have torn from an Indian warrior's throat, but which came instead from between Kirby's lips. The famous yell, with all its yip of victory, as only an uninhibited Texan could deliver it. They were rushing, yelping, in an answering chorus, four or five abreast down the street, under the shade of the trees, answered by screams and cries, as the walks emptied before them. Blue ranks broke up ahead, leaving rifles stacked, provisions in knapsacks. And the ragged crew, 
struck at the spoils like a wave, lapping up arms, cartridge boxes, knapsacks. For only moments there was a milling pandemonium in the heart of Bardstown. Then once again that yell was raised, echoed, and the pound of hoofs made an artillery barrage of sound. Armed, provisioned, and very much the master of the scene, Morgan's men were heading out of town on the other side, leaving bewilderment behind. They pushed the pace, knowing that the telegraph wires or the couriers would be spreading the news. Perhaps the reputation of their commander might slow the inevitable pursuit, but it would not deter it entirely. They must put as much distance between themselves and the outfoxed Union garrison as they could. And Campbell continued to point them westward instead of south, since an enemy force would be marching in the other direction to cut them off. Even if men could stand the dogged pace, driven by determination and fear of capture, horses could not. And through the next two days, the inference was very clear. Fall behind at your own risk. There will be no waiting for laggards to catch up, nor any mounts furnished. You must provide your own. Drew discovered the black gelding an increasing problem, but at least the horse provided transportation, and he tried to save the animal as best he could. Though when it was impossible to unsaddle, when one had to ride and did, some twenty hours out of twenty-four, there was not much the most experienced horseman could do to relieve his mount. Drew pulled up beside Kirby as he returned from a flank scout. The Texan had dropped to the rear of the small troop, holding his horse to not much more than a walk. Now and then he glanced at the receding length of the road as if in search of someone. Where's Boyd? Drew had ridden along the full length of the company, and nowhere had he seen the blonde head. Just what I'm wondering, Kirby came to a complete halt. I came back a little while ago, and nobody's seen him. Drew pulled in beside the other. His horse's head hung low, as the gelding blew in gusty snorts. He tried to remember when he had seen Boyd last, and when he did, that memory was not too encouraging. "'With Hilders and Cambridge,' he said softly. "'Yeah. Kirby's thoughts seemed to match his. Hilders' mare is just about beat, and Boyd rides light. That bay he's got is holding up like a corn-fed stud.' They were talking to him, when I went out on point, Drew followed his own line of thought. And he won't listen to me. It don't follow that, because you advise an hombre for his own good, he's going to take kindly to your interest in him, the Texan observed. You tell him Hildreth and Cambridge are wearing skunk stripes, and he's apt to claim them both as compadres. Suppose he don't come in when we bed down. He could have just cut his picket rope and drifted, as far as we can prove. Not if his bay turns up with one of them on top, Drew replied. Them two are of the curly wolf breed. Kirby shifted his newly acquired Enfield. No telling as how they would join up with us again did they make such a switch. Might figure as how they could make it better time drifting on their own. The Texan had put his own fear into words. Drew pointed the gelding back down the road and booted the animal into a trot. A moment later, 
he heard more drumming hoofs behind. Kirby was following. This ain't your trouble, Drew reminded him. No, maybe it ain't. But then me, I'm just a rough string rider from way back, and this may end in a smoke-up. Odds seem a might one-sided now. Hilders is easy on the trigger. He won't take kindly to anyone trying to hang up his hide for drying. Drew studied the hoof-churned dust of the road. He could only hold a very slim hope of some trace along its margin. The gelding stumbled and tried to cut pace. Drew hardened his will, holding the animal to the trot. He knew that under saddle and blanket sores were forming, that soon he would have no choice but a trade, such as Hilders might be forcing now, though not at the expense of one of his own fellows. Kirby was reading signs on the other side of the road. His sudden hand signal brought Drew to join him. Hoofprints marked the softer verge. Turned off not too long ago, Drew commented. Kirby nodded toward the brush. They were facing a small woodland into which a thin trace of path led. Good cover for trouble. Looping reins over his arm, Drew walked forward, colt in hand, using scout tricks to cover the noise of his advance into the green shimmer of the trees. The trail led ahead without any attempt at concealment. The other two troopers must have tricked Boyd into taking that way. Maybe they even put a revolver on him once they were off the road. It was only too easy for a man to straggle from the company and not be missed until hours and miles later. Now, Sonny, there ain't no use making a big fuss. Drew dropped the reins and slipped on. You can see for yourself, boy, that my horse ain't going to be able to get much farther. You can nurse him along and take it easy. Them blue bellies ain't going to be hard on a nice little boy like you. No, sir, they ain't, even if they find you. We just trade fair and square, no trouble. Course, another harsher voice cut in. If you want to make it rough, well, that's what you'll get. We're taking that horse no matter what. You ain't. There was a short snap of sound, the cocking of a handgun. Pull that on me, will you? I'll shoot. I'm warning you. Touch my horse and I'll shoot. Boy's voice scaled higher. Drew ran, his arm up, to shield his face from the whip of branches. He came out at a small stream. Boyd was backed against a tree, while the two others advanced on him from different directions. That's enough. Drew's colt was pointed at Hilder's. The man's head jerked round. Get going, the scout ordered. Cambridge blinked stupidly, but Hilder's took a step back to catch up the reins of a horse that stood dull-eyed, its head bent, pink foam roping from its muzzle as it breathed in heavy gasps. I said get. Drew advanced, and Hilder's gave ground again, towing the trembling horse. Now we don't want no trouble, Cambridge said hurriedly. It would have been a fair trade. Sonny here ain't got a place in the company anyhow. Get! Drew's weapon raised a fraction of an inch. Cambridge's protest thickened into a mumble, and he went. When both men had disappeared, Drew turned to Boyd. Put that away. He flicked a finger at the other's colt and mount up. We'll have to push to get back to the troop. 
He watched the other lead the bay away from the stream side. Kirby was right. The horse was in better condition than most of the others in the company, and sooner or later someone might try again to rank Boyd out of it. There were a good many in that hunted column who would see that in the same light as Hilders and Cambridge did, and would say so, with the weight of public opinion to back them. Campbell had set their course for Calhoun, and in that town Boyd and the Raiders must definitely part company. End of chapter 5